Right, welcome everybody to another episode of Chris and Dave's Reality Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrock. Hey there, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Chris, it is great to be back. We are back again, and for something that I didn't think would actually happen this year, so we're going to be covering a new episode of Love Island. We are indeed, Dave, and lo and behold, it's not only Love Island, which is obviously great news, they're actually filming it in a hotel in Vegas, Dave, so if any of the producers out there need you know, a podcast host, hint, hint, wink, wink, if we ever get lifted and we can get back to the USA, I will be more than happy to represent our podcast, and I'll even bring Dave with me if you want the both of us, but yeah. I'm pretty sure I'll fit in the suitcase as well. <laughs> it's been filmed at the Cromwell, which has been a hotel that's been shut since March, but yeah, I, I, honestly, Dave, when you told me, and I, it got under the radar with me, I was like, what? And we, we knew it was taught one of the months ago. We mentioned it, didn't we, on the show that possibly it could be in Vegas, but it went very quiet. And then the next minute, a trailer dropped. So here we are. And I'm so excited, Dave. Now, we're, we're going to speak a little bit more. So today is going to be a bit of a special episode. Obviously, it hasn't aired yet, uh, the Love Island USA Season 2. We're going to split this into two parts. And we've got quite a serious part to the you know i know it's not usual for us but um uh, we're gonna we've interviewed a very special guest so uh michelle alhang is a, is a life coach and we basically spoke to her about kind of her story and and uh, some of how she got into that life coaching and obviously we touched on a fairly tragic personal event for her in particular and then at the end of the show we'll talk a little bit about Love Island season two and uh, kind of what kind of information we have on it already so Chris we, we spoke to Michelle obviously and it was a really good discussion wasn't it you know again very very open and kind of helped us a little bit as well I think. Yeah it did and I think you know like you say we absolutely rinse the show don't we we just poke fun at different things we we call out behavior not necessarily uh people all the time it's just if someone's being ridiculous that you know we they get dealt with we'll we'll say it it's all a bit of fun but obviously in the last year or so especially with obviously caroline flack uh taking her own life we just thought it was important to get a different side to that and we you know we do some great questions that we brought up and some fantastic answers and so much so that uh, I've got Michelle now as a friend on Facebook because I think she's a really, really lovely and nice lady. And, and what she brought to the table was it's quite humbling as well, Dave. Really, really good conversation for both of us. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like, you know, so if people are wondering, because obviously our podcast is, is all a bit tongue-in-cheek and we just come on and we have a laugh, but, you know, we know that we have quite a lot of listeners out there and, and you know, especially with what's happened with Caroline Flack and the, and the two contestants previously that had taken their own lives. We kind of just wanted to get uh, to focus a little bit on something a bit more serious before we start uh, mercilessly taking the piss out of the contestants uh, <laughs> again, you know, and the same, the same perspectives that we had when, when we did that special last year, that if this kind of reaches one person, then it's worth doing. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. 
Totally agree. And I just hope everyone else enjoys it as much as we did recording it, Dave, because it was really insightful. And the technical gremlins uh, obviously were trying to trip us up as well. So we did have a couple of false starts there as well. So, But we got we got there in the end. We did indeed, Dave. We did indeed. And it was mainly on my side. <laughs> so, um, yeah, really good. And, and, you know, hopefully, you know, with the new series coming, it'll just sort of have a slightly different perspective for some people. But I just hope everyone enjoys it, enjoys the interview, and obviously enjoys the new series of Love Island as well. Awesome. Now, Chris, should we get into our interview? Let's go. Now, today we have a very special guest joining us. We have Michelle and Hank. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thank you for having me. Awesome. Now, we really appreciate you coming on. You are a life coach. And I guess the first thing where I'd like to start is how that came around. How did your journey uh, come about where you became a life coach? Mm, that's an interesting story. <laughs> uh, so I, th- the short version of the story is that um, I got into life coaching because my best friend kept telling me to take this course. And um, she had just become a life coach. And um I didn't know the first thing about what life coaching was, but she just said, do this course. It's a weekend. If nothing else, you'll get some great communication skills out of it. Go ahead and do it. And literally just to shut her up, I said, fine, I'll take this course because she was bugging me so much. <laughs> um, but the longer version of it is um, that um, a number of years before that, I guess it was it was close to 10 years before that, um, I had lost my husband. Um, I was 34 years old. He died by suicide and uh, leaving me and uh, to raise my our two little kids. Uh, we had two boys. They were seven and four at the time. And um, at, you know, during that time, because of, um, you know, the community that we, we lived in and were part of um, and all the other cultural stuff because of the shame and the fear of the stigma, the family, um, including me, decided that we're going to tell everyone he died by accident uh, or in an accident. We didn't actually get into details. And so I carried this with me for 10 years, basically, you know, took its toll on my mental health. You know, he had been mm-hmm. been living with um, bipolar disorder and a form of schizophrenia. I believe they call it schizoaffective disorder. And um, so here I am hiding this secret um, for all these years and, you know, kind of starting my healing journey and, and the coaching program, you know, fell on into my lap or I was kind of pushed into it there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think we we spoke about it a little bit before the show. So obviously, uh, as part of the Love Island reality TV show, you know that's had its its fair share of uh, suicides. Obviously, the most recent one being the presenter Caroline Flack, and that affected quite a lot of people. Um, and I was quite impacted by it. Obviously, we've been following the show and everything, and uh, you know it was quite a shock at the time. And I started to do quite a bit of research into into how many people kind of exit the world that way and and I was quite shocked at how high the numbers are and the other thing that I hadn't realized was that the ratio of of male to female suicides was something like three to one 
Yeah. And that, that was in the UK. And then I thought, oh, I wonder what it's like in America. And it's, it's almost exactly the same ratio. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty close. Yeah, a definitely higher ratio of men um, than women. Yeah, and and I can only, you know, from my own personal experience, you know, just I, I see the world through my own eyes. We all do. I, I just wonder if it's just because we're not great talkers, you know, we don't talk about certainly don't talk about emotions, and you know, being British, you you doubly kind of. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hampered by that but no I, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that story because obviously yeah. that, that must have been a, a terrible time and you're, you're obviously through it now yeah but you mentioned about the the stigma and everything I think yeah I, how how did that come about so you had had the two boys and everything and you're kind of protecting them and you know yeah. the wider community how did you deal with that? Oh, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> that's that's the that's the truth. I didn't really deal with it very well. Um, well, you know, just just to to give a little bit more background information. Um, so my husband had been diagnosed with his mental illness um, only two and a half years before he died, but. Um, you know, after the diagnosis came, then he started opening up a lot more about different periods of time in his life where the signs were there. Um, but I guess, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, and I'm dating myself now, but, um, you know, back in those days, like, we weren't talking about mental illness, like nobody mm -hmm. really knew what that was, they weren't identifying it. So there were signs that I guess, in hindsight, you can point to it and say, Oh, yeah, that was an episode or that that was a sign of it. But, you know, without having more knowledge and, and a better understanding, we just didn't see it. Um, mm -hmm. And then the diagnosis really only came when he really just couldn't function. Like he wasn't able to go to work. He would be in bed for days, or if he was having a manic episode, he would be, um, you know, out of the house possibly for days. Um, and so, you know, it's, you know, we, we didn't tell anybody when he had the diagnosis either. You know, he was, he mm -hmm. was embarrassed. He felt like it was a weakness. He he did feel quite ashamed. He, he didn't want anybody thinking less of him or judging him. So that, that was a choice that he had made. So the, the immediate family knew some close friends knew, but for everybody else, you know, we were creating stories around like, you know, he, he, um, he used to install uh, security alarms and he drove a truck. And then mm -hmm. when he had to give the work truck back and everybody asked about it, we just said, oh yeah, he just switched to a different department. He's a manager now. So, you know, he, he doesn't need the truck anymore. Like we literally were, were, you know, creating one story after the other to cover it up. Mm -hmm. And so when he, when he passed, you know, this was just another progression of, of, you know, more storytelling. Yes, I justified it to myself that, you know, my kids were seven and four at the time. And I was like, I don't understand how this could have happened because he never talked about it. And he didn't say like, oh, I want to die or, you know, talked about suicide. So it was a complete shock. Like I was more worried that he might accidentally hurt himself than I was that, you know, that it would be intentional. Um, so you know, when, when this happened, you know, there, there's that there, you know, the shame and the stigma that the family feels and the friends as well, like the close friends went through the same thing of just, you know, th there's this guilt, there's this wondering of, was there something I could have done? You know, did I do enough? 
you know, is, is this something like somehow we, we think this might be a reflection on us. Like we go to a whole bunch of different places that we don't necessarily go when, when somebody dies by an illness or, you know, mm-hmm. or in an accident, I guess, you know, it, it depends on, on the situation, but, but there's that feeling. And I, I think there's this tendency, um, for the family in particular, that when somebody is suffering from a mental illness, we're just like, if I could just love them more or love them enough, then I can, I can help them feel better and help cure their illness. And then, so then when, you know, when, or if they, they die by suicide, we're questioning ourselves about that. So, you know, when you're asking me how I coped, I, I didn't, I just, I shoved it all down. It was just like, I can't deal with this. You know, I just chose to focus on my kids. I said, I have, you know, statistically, you know, they've got a lot against them, you know, mental health issues in their genes, you know, their dad died by suicide. Now they're being raised by a single mom you know, and, and on and on and on. I was just like, I have to, I have to just make sure I give them, you know, I have one chance to do this right. That's what I kept telling myself and everybody else. So, you know, I, I just threw everything into ensuring they were okay, but it was at the expense of my own health. A lot of what you're saying there really resonates, actually. So someone quite close to me, or very close to me, rather, uh, took their own lives that way. And it's only in hindsight, I I suspect strongly that they were bipolar as well. You know, in in a crowded room, then they were the life and soul of the party. You know, big, loud voice, telling all the jokes, telling all the stories, um... Uh, but you don't see what goes on behind closed doors. And uh, again, I, I think, you know, when, when that news broke, I just remember thinking that, well, if only you could see now, you know, how upset everyone is, you know, yeah. uh, you have no idea how much you were loved. Um, and, and you go through that guilt, you go through, well, you know, I should have called more or I should have done this or I should have done that. And, and I guess that's just part of the grieving process. Yeah. 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 We're all thinking, what if, like, what if I had just picked up the phone that time that I saw or thought of them, you know, maybe I could have helped. Maybe I would have been the one that they opened up to. Yeah. We, we give ourselves a really hard time about that. Yeah. I think um, what you're saying there, Michelle, it's, it's awful, obviously what you've gone through. And I know myself, one of my best friends, um, mother just took a life from nowhere when I was like 17 and, and mm. it, it, nobody knew at all. And, and in my family, um, the mental health stuff's been there since I was a kid. My dad, he's quite open about it since I was 10 years old. He's been diagnosed with it, with a uh, bipolar, severe, uh, manic depressive, and it runs through my family. So, so it's one of them things where, uh, I, it's took me a long time to sort of, understand it because i i would sometimes think that my dad's just you know making excuses he didn't want to go to family dues making excuses why he couldn't go couldn't deal with people he'd go to a party and leave and and um it's something as i've grown older that i, th- I look back and feel guilty you know i'm like oh my god you know like it, it's totally uneducated and it's only as you get older and you mature and you read more you understand what's going on and and um, like I say, with my friend, it was the worst thing ever when we were, I mean, I'm 41 now, so it's 24 years ago, but you can still remember that. And he left his mother and thought she was asleep. And she, anyway, you know, it was one of them things that he, he, he regrets to this day. And I think 
with the whole social media thing and some of the things that we do, especially with the show and that, it's it's so difficult to see how these people can be sort of character assassinated and, and it moves on into real life because once them cameras have stopped rolling, we're just normal people, aren't we? And, and we all have struggles. And like I say, I, I honestly believe that in every family, there's always at least one or two people who suffers with a bipolar or a, a, some sort of depression and, um, you know, mental health issues but it's it's how it's masked some some mask it by anger and and take it out that way others mask it just by being within themselves and just being an introvert and that and I, and I think it's interesting the more we speak to more people how different experiences describe that same mental health issue that I think everybody's got it I think we all have it it's just different ways we cope some people can sort of cope and ask for help and other people just don't find they can. And that's sadly where uh, it takes a lot of people down, you know, a really sad road. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm just thinking about so many things that you are saying there. Um, and I agree that, that I think it's within every family. I think it's, I think it's out there. Like the statistics are so much higher that it's like, why are we even looking at it as mental illness? Like there is no such thing as being a hundred percent healthy. We all have different extents of this. So why don't we just call this normal, you know, and, (laughs) and, um, and then any, and then kind of on, on the spectrum of things, but, but not looking at it as illness and just like, let's be real about it. Like, particularly now with the pandemic, you know, we're really seeing how many people, you know, have anxiety, you know, where, where, you know, they may want to look at it. They may be talking about it or they may not. And, and I know that I keep speaking about it and, you know, some people just shut down completely and it's like, Oh, what are, what are you not talking about? You know? And then there are so many people that are saying, yeah, me too. This is what I'm going through and, and realizing like, you know, I think we, we want to talk about it. We want to get educated on it. And I I think, um, you know, I think it's so needed right now because, you know, especially with what's happening right now, nobody's mental health is ideal. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I'm at work, especially we have a group where it's like a loneliness group that was created and I've, I've ended up be, uh, being asked to come on it and I've done a video at work about loneliness you know and one of the the, the end lines that I say in the video which it, I know it's me saying it and it's not like a, a big-headed thing but it's something that they've used as a bit of a tagline is and I say you can have the best smile in the world but nobody knows what's going on behind your smile you know and, and that's true because everybody like you've just said Dave people can be the absolute laughing stop the joker of a room of 20 30 people a center of attention and I look at Robin Williams Robin Williams is the ideal uh not the ideal but he's, he's the, the one person you think when that happened everyone's like oh my god because he was such a funny guy you know but he had so many demons that sort of came out after he passed that he's like oh the, the warning signs were there, even in some of the uh, material that he used. And, and that's, nobody knows what people are going through at all. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And, and my, you know, my husband too had, you know, was the nicest guy in the world, the sweetest guy, always smiling, always, you know, he, he was very handy and not many of my friends were. And so he was always <laughs> the guy that, you know, if somebody needed something fixed, he'd be like, oh, don't pay anybody. I'll come and do it. And he he would do any, like just show up for anyone and, and, and just push through things. So, so people really didn't see it 
for what it was because yeah, he wasn't mopey. Um, and, and he, you know, he was always like, you know, just would go and talk to every single person at the party. And he was the kind of guy that also like would talk to the guy standing in the corner and, and, you know, I would be judgmental. I'd be like, why do you have to go talk to him? He'd be like, because nobody else is. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm outing myself here. I'm not, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm not as nice as he was. <laughs> <laughs> I think what what you said okay. was really interesting about you know just we weren't talking about this stuff you know and, and it was exactly the same in the UK in the in the kind of seventies and eighties you know and we misused the word depression you know we talk about you know if someone was just a bit sad you know maybe you just got up and you hadn't enough sleep you know oh, I'm a bit depressed you know and, and you mm-hmm. you start to use this language in a in a quite sloppy way or you know just cheer up you know it'll never happen I seem to remember my nan always saying to me um you know so I think it's only in it feels like just literally the last few years that people are, are talking more openly about mental health but it's it's almost still not enough for me yeah, I think there's still this idea that, you know, I, I don't know how far it dates back or when it started, but this idea, you know, in, in you know, particularly in North America, and I'm, I'm going to make an assumption that you guys have it as well of, you know, this idea of being strong and in the, in the workplace, you know, of, of overworking, pushing yourself hard, like you wear a badge of honor if you are completely run down because you're working, like, you know, it's good to be busy, it's good to be, you know, overdoing everything. It's good to be stressed. That must mean that you're doing something in the world. And this idea that, you know, that it it could look otherwise is just still not accepted. Like I know, you know, I, before becoming a coach, I spent 25 years in the corporate world. I worked in law and I worked in finance and God, feelings do not come up. (laughs) You know, you you don't bring your feelings to work, you know, essentially. And, and, you know, me who was hiding this big secret, who had, you know, it was, was not, had never grieved properly because I couldn't grieve um, you know, I wasn't talking about the suicide, so I'm, I'm pretending to grieve an accident. So I'm, you know, my thing was just, you know, I, I'd start crying like whenever. And, you know, I remember one of my bosses saying to me, like, you, you know, you're always like, you break into tears if, if somebody says the wrong thing. And it's just like, yeah, this is just who I am. But like, you know, there's no space for accepting that. It's like, no, you need to be stoic. Do not feel, show up. Be, like, we'd, we'd rather you be a robot Mm-hmm. then show up fully and authentically. So, and I, I don't you know, I don't know. I'm not okay with that. I think you're right. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it, going back obviously a bit further than, than we were all around, but, mm-hmm. you know, stories of people, you know, in, in the first and second world war where clearly, you know, you read back and they've clearly had some sort of PTSD. Um, but, you know, you had soldiers like you know allied soldiers who were just shot because they deserted their post on the on the front lines and you you saw they'd been bombed by shells and whatever completely traumatized and so it it just seems to me that no one's got it and we're just on the start you know of that journey of really trying to understand it and i'm sure you know in 20 years from now we'll understand a lot more than we do now um but it does feel like, you know, we're just literally talking about it now. So 
that's the first bit. That's the first step on the journey that we're talking about it. We're all admitting, you know, that it's, it's actually, it's okay to not be okay. Um, And I think that, you know, from there, we'll start to get a bit more educated. We'll learn a bit more and hopefully be able to help people. So it doesn't get to the stage uh, that it has in, in your case. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And I think, you know, it's more our generation and the earlier generations that are just starting to talk about it and are really kind of trying to undo our our own upbringings. Because like, I look at my kids who are 21 and 18 now, and my 18 year old, who, by the way, has given me permission to talk about his mental health, um, he was diagnosed with depression um, about a year and a half or so ago. And you know, I, and when I asked him, I, you know, because of this is the work that I do, I said, you know, do you mind me talking about your mental health challenges? And he was like, mom, I'm not ashamed of it. Like my, all my friends talk about it, you know, and it just, I mean, it happens to be that like, I don't, there's a, a crazy amount of kids who are on medication these days too, like particularly in high school that, you know, ma- makes me wonder, but you know, they all talk about it. What are you, what are you taking? What are you taking? And I know when I went on medication for depression, I started talking about it because this is what I do. You know, how many people were saying, Oh, I'm on that also. What's your dose? And it's like, Oh my gosh, everybody's taking something, <laughs> but, but it's, it's really, it's the younger generation. Um, you know, I see my with my kids' generation how open they are about what they're going through. They are the ones who are posting their challenges online, you know, for for better or worse. But but I feel like they are the ones who are really going to be making that huge change for for the rest of us. That's good to hear. Actually, that that everyone's so open about it. I think you know I was going through a particularly torrid time uh, a little while ago, and and. Um, was asked by the doctor if I wanted to go on on medication for depression and and then he said but you know be be aware that some of the side effects are that you'll you'll possibly have suicidal thoughts and I thought well that's not a very good medication then really is it (laughs) (laughs) you won't be depressed but you might be suicidal (laughs) you're gonna make me feel even worse uh in maybe in the short term so I I decided not to go down that route but no that I guess the younger generation though they've got so much more to deal with than we had I mean we we had our own challenges and stuff but I think with social media you know I, I would say facebook but apparently it's all us oldies who are on facebook yeah. I, I don't think the younger kids are on it anymore uh, it's all snapchat and tiktok and whatever whatnot um but yeah i think how do you think that affects young people and their mental health yeah um it's you know, it goes both ways. It's really, you know, I see, I see the positive sides of it and I see the negative sides of it. Um, you know, the, the negative sides are, you know, we're getting a lot of bullying. We're getting a lot of, um, you know, kids posting things for validation and then, um, or, or for whatever is, you know, their motive behind posting things, but there's this comfort level that, I'm going to say all humans seem to have with being online and commenting on people's posts. And it's almost like there's that safety um, behind it that we feel that we can say anything and we can be more cruel than we would if we were saying it in person. And so there is that area of of kids um, that, um, 
you know, are, are being subjected to that, which definitely has a negative impact. And, and, you know, there, there are situations of kids who have died by suicide because of online bullying, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to say that, that bullying, it wasn't happening in schools as well, but this is just a whole new area of it. And where, you know, you have all the trolls and you have so many people, you can even have strangers that are just jumping on that bandwagon of, you know, whatever that negative thought is and, or, or idea and just really attacking people. But then on the plus side, I see where, you know, kids and and just anybody can can talk about these things. And I think that's really what is responsible for for the shift in our, our conversations and becoming more open about mental health because there, you know, there's so much information that's now accessible and easily accessible. There are so many groups like, you know, you can go on Facebook and really just search up any type of group that you may want to join and you're going to find people there that will be supporting you. So there, there is, um, you know, the, the support is more accessible. So it's, it's really, you know, it's, I don't know, you know, if you were to say, is it good or bad? I couldn't give you one answer. I think it's both. Sure. I, I agree. I, th- I do think it is both. Um, and it's just how we deal with it. I, I think the uh, look, bullying was definitely around when I was at school, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, but but you could get away with it. Uh, not, not get away with it. I wasn't the perpetrator, by the way. I mean, you could get away <laughs> from it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can hide better. Can't you? I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, there's no record of it. I mean, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a confessional, Dave. You're okay, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but, That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think going back to your point, Michelle, about um, you know the, the social media, and Dave touched on it as well, the social media stuff, especially Instagram. When we review these reality shows, a lot of the UK contestants um they don't really have a career behind them. What they're going for is this golden ticket of, and I'm quoting now, an influencer. So somebody obviously who can promote hair products or sun products or teeth whitening products. And they get millions of followers for posting all these fake pictures of them around the world. And they're getting paid for different things. And obviously it's like the one percenters, but most of the young kids these days, and you see it a lot in careers advice is they say, what do you want to be? I want to be an influencer on, on YouTube or on Instagram. And I think We've because we review this show, we'll have a joke, me and Dave, and they'll say, like, we're a, I'm a part time model, and it's like, so really, you're not really a model, you're just someone who has done the odd pitch, and we'll have a joke about it. However, the, 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 the backdrop to that is that it's quite sad that these people just want that sort of adulation, that, that in front of the camera fame. And don't get me wrong, I can be a bit of an egomaniac, I love doing my holiday vlogs and stuff like this, and, and we, we do the podcast, so there is a platform for us as well, but I think it's quite sad and the mental health side of it kicks in a lot for these young people because they don't want to do the nine to five stuff. They want to be traveling around America. They want to be traveling around Asia and just taking pictures and vlogging about it and putting pictures up on Snapchat and Instagram and all this. And I, I think from us, as much as we poke fun at them and we have a bit of a joke, we're fully aware of, of like, it's quite sad, especially in the UK, Love Island. We've lost the main presenter this last year, Caroline Flack, and we've also lost two contestants in the last two years who, once the fame had dried up for the contestants and the money and, and the, the phone stopped calling, the, the demons that they'd obviously been carrying all their life kept in and sadly they took their own life. So I think I think that's, it, 
social media now is an absolute can be an absolute wrecking machine for so many people sadly yeah yeah um you know what you have me thinking about is just you know this focus on the external validation and so mm-hmm. they're not yeah. looking inside and really validating themselves it's based on what everybody thinks and you know and now like I, you know i've heard of like the cancel culture which you know would just shocked me of like what that like you can actually just like literally cancel somebody's fame or identity or whatever it is just that quickly overnight by everybody deciding to do that and that's terrifying when you know people are not developing the skills and you know their own inner anchor of you know who am i and you know the having this fragility of your identity being built around what everybody else is thinking um it, it is quite terrifying yeah, and I just touching on the cancel culture there, Michelle, and I, I, I listened to a podcast that I've listened to for about four years now called The Fighter and the Kid, and there's a comedian on there called Brian Callen, and a load of ad- accusations have come out, and obviously I don't know whether they're true or not. I hope they're not because they're quite serious mm. allegations by some female um that, uh, that ladies who he was with in relationships and some he wasn't, but his whole podcast has been cancelled. Now, obviously, there's not been any, pretty much he's been uh, ostracised. A, a comedian called Chris has had the same thing with the cancel culture. He, um, again, totally inappropriate. He deserved, from what I can see, it looked like it was quite justified. However, the Brian Callan stuff at the moment has not been proven. It's just a couple of people have gone online and gone at him amy schumer's gone and got at him and, and his career is pretty much nosedives in the space of a couple of weeks if it's true then it's totally justified if it's not then you're ruining and he's not the only one these different various people ladies and men who have just been cancelled because of the political views or other things people don't agree with and you just see the fred i'm on twitter most of the time you see the twitter they just go after them yeah so much it's like you don't even know in what context any of this has happened. And if it's true, then we all stand by and go, yeah, you, you know, the right authorities, you should get due process and it should be. But literally, they're costing people's lives, aren't they? And it, it's unbelievable. And also, the people, what I find is a lot of people who go after um, celebrities or they go after some, you know, somebody who's got a platform. It's like, but you wouldn't like that if that was your own family. So why would you want to do that yourself? Why would you want to go on and troll and abuse somebody with not knowing anything about them, but just going with the herd? That pack mentality is absolutely horrendous. And when Caroline Flack died, the presenter of Love Island uh, last year, there was a big thing about be kind. There was a massive movement with Caroline's face saying she'd had her demons and that and, and saying like she'd suffered with mental health. And basically there was a court case hanging over her head Um and she didn't want it to be exposed. So once sadly, she she took her own life. Um, and she had friends around us trying to, you know, who knew, were aware of what was going on. It didn't happen. But there was a big movement in the UK and it, all the hashtags were be kind. And everyone was like trying to take a different view, trying to be better people, trying to approach things in a better way. And then lo and behold, within about a week to 10 days, something else happened with some other celebrity and everybody just went at them online. And everyone was like, well, what's happened to be kind? It was just seemed to be a buzzword. So I remember, Chris, I remember it quite vividly because there was a heavy dose of irony with it. So I think in terms of, we talked about guilt when this sort of stuff happens, but her her boyfriend, uh, who the court, so the court case was basically, you know, she was accused of attacking the boyfriend. Um, and he'd, he'd been quiet and then posted, because I, th- I think you told me about it, Chris. He'd posted yeah. something on Instagram about how gutted he is and, you know, 
what have you. And then people just went after him. You know, so the same people who are preaching about the be kind stuff don't see the irony in they were absolutely launching for the boyfriend. It, it was crazy. Yeah. I, we're seeing it now, too. I mean, remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like the hashtag, we're all in this together. And now it just seems like everybody is attacking everybody. Like there, there's so much anger surfacing. It's like, what happened to we're all in this together? <laughs> you know, yeah. There's so much division yeah. now. Bored but, of that now. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, 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 kumbaya is over. You know, the, the fire, yeah. the bonfire's out. <laughs> Let's go yeah. back to, to who we are. And, it, you know, and, and it's, again, it's hiding behind the screen. I, I don't think many of these people would be behaving like this face to face. Like, we don't see that. You know, there's... Yeah. there's I, mm-hmm. Sorry, Michelle, go on, sorry. No, I, I was just going to say that there is something about this online culture that that creates space for it and gives per people permission to behave this way yeah and and it's the old keyboard warrior isn't it like i still uh, go after i go on a lot of gaming forums as a big gamer and the territorial stuff even in gaming whether you you like microsoft or you like sony is ridiculous i like all of them i may sway towards microsoft but i go on a lot of forums and literally Twitter, Instagram, all you have to say is something about a plastic box that plays compute video games and everyone's going for like the, the heads of these companies, you know, and all this, like you're, you're this, you, this is rubbish. And I'm like, oh my God, it just, it moves into everything. The platform, which it should be a good thing, just turns into toxicity. <laughs> and a lot of people say, don't they, famous people, they don't even read the comments anymore because they just can't. It'll just be soul destroying. I guess that's that's their coping strategy, though, isn't it? You know, so they know for themselves. You know, if they go on there, they're going to read some stuff, and they're not going to feel good about it. So, you know, the way they cope with that is by not going on and reading those forums. So, I, I guess my question to you, Michelle. So, so we've we've dealt a lot with, or we've talked a lot about the negative stuff, and you know, speculated on why these sort of things happen and what have you. If someone was to come to you as that life coach, I know you. I know the answer is probably going to be it depends, but I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> so, where would you start with them to to advise them and and you know to bring up, you know, to start living their life in in a more healthy way, mentally speaking? Yeah, um, great question. Um, so. Yes, it depends, but not really. Like really the first place I go is just asking them where where they're at. Like where are you at today? Um, you know, and, and just to, to give the, the clarification for those who don't know the difference um between therapy and coaching. So therapy um it generally speaking looks at where are you today and how did you get here? So that's kind of like, you know, your issues with your parents, the childhood stuff, the self-limiting beliefs and where did they come from? And, and there's healing involved. Um, you know, there, depending on the type of, of professional you're seeing, there could be a diagnosis. Um, coaching looks at where are you now and where do you want to be? So it's very, it's very much um, future focused. It's, it's about um, setting goals, there's accountability, and it's about moving you forward in life. So the starting point for me generally, when somebody reaches out to me is I'll just ask them how they have been managing their mental health up until this point. So where, where are you at 
today? You know, have they gone mm-hmm. for therapy? Have they, you know, are they on medication? Are they currently being overseen by a doctor? Because, you know, a lot of that is outside of my training. Um, and then from that point, I say, okay, where do you want to be? What are you, what are you hoping to get out of coaching? And hearing their answer and, and how much they want it, because really the people who are best suited to work with me are the people that kind of like, you know, for me, hiding, hiding the suicide, um, you know, I reached a point in my life where I realized the damage it was doing to me, to my mental health, to everything in my life. Like I was just, you know, living a very, very small life, isolating myself because I was, you know, either anxious that somebody was going to find out and that the whole story would blow up and my kids would find out the wrong way or depressed because I wasn't dealing with the emotions. And then I reached a point in my own life where I was just like, I can't deal with this pain. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get me out of it because I want to have a good life moving forward. And so the clients that come to me are usually in that space. They, um, they may have, um, you know, a form of depression or anxiety. They might or might not be on medication, but they know that it's not just the medication that's going to help them treat it, that there are lifestyle changes to be made, that, you know, goal setting usually is, is quite helpful. Like, you know, I, I say to people, what's your goal? And they're like, well, I don't know. It's like, well, how do you know when you get there if you don't know what the goal is? <laughs> so, you know, just even figuring out, like, what kind of life do you want? What do you want it to look like? And really going into that space and then saying, okay, let's, you know, in baby steps, let's start creating that so you can have it. Because really, you know, regardless of whether or not we have mental health challenges, we all deserve and can have a wonderful, fulfilling life. So really my goal is to help the people that want to get there, get there, be their partner through it, through the ups, through the downs, you know, because it's not all sunshine and rainbows, you know, we may have days and, and giving, giving ourselves permission to be in the space that we're in. I, I do a lot of mindfulness and, and meditation work as part of the training that I do and, and the coaching. And, and these are the tools that I find helped me and help other people of just like, okay, what, what am I feeling right now? What's, what's going on? For me, my depression shows up um, I, more with exhaustion. I feel it more in my body. You know, I don't, I don't have the, the dark thoughts. I don't go into that space, but for me, I just, I sleep a ton and I just, I can't feel, um, you know, I, I don't have access to my emotions when I, when I'm having an episode. So mm-hmm. it's about getting familiar with what our personal, um, signals are and then catching it early and seeing, okay, can I, can I shift out of it? Or just saying, you know what, I can't shift out of it. So I'm just going to accept it and just be with it. And, and, you know, sometimes we need someone to say, you know what, it's okay for you to stay in bed all day. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. But just check in with me tomorrow and let me know how you're doing. So, so that's what I'm offering is this non-judgmental space where you can be who you are and at the same time, we're going to work together at the pace that's comfortable for you to reach whatever goals you want to reach. Can I ask a question, actually, Michelle? I think that's a great, thank you for that. I think it's a really great explanation. Um, having dealt with this myself, especially as close as I could be with my family, is uh, one of my family members had suffered with depression for years, I mentioned about my dad and stuff. Um, how how do you you tell as such when when you're coaching somebody that 
even with the best coaching in the world and the best sort of, you know, you, you, they still need to take some sort of responsibility, don't they? They they want to sort of come out of that other side with the help and that. I mean, how do, how do you cope with like the obstacles of just somebody always pushing back at you? You know, you, you, you never, you think you're giving them your all, but they're not actually giving you their all so that it doesn't seem like they, that, that you're helping them as such. Because that's something that I've tried to cope with for years where no matter what you do, sometimes some people do just like, not beyond hell, but they're just so negative and, and gone down the rabbit hole the other way, whether that depressed them that, that it's so difficult to bring them back up and, and try and show them that there is some sort of light. Because I do coaching as in, I do a lot of personal training stuff, but coaching at work and that as well, it's something, your area of expertise is something that um, I touch on a lot of work. It's something that I want to sort of try and get into at some point. And it is something that I have a lot of people come to me uh, at work about, but sometimes even just chatting through it, you can resolve things. But when you, maybe it's just not being qualified enough, but how do you cope with that if, if you, you don't, you're not getting the results that you normally would with somebody? Yeah. Um, if the client, so if the client isn't making any progress, I will often say, I'm not sure if, if coaching is right for you right now. And, and, you know, I use the metaphor of the staircase and I say, you know, we're standing on the landing right now at the bottom. And the idea of coaching is to move you to the top, top of the staircase. And it could be one step at a time. It could be two steps up, three steps down, whatever that pace, that dance looks like. But the ideal goal is to get you to the top. If you want to stay on the landing, that's totally cool. But you're going to get really frustrated with me and I'm going to get frustrated with you because I'm wanting to move you up. That's what I do as a coach. So I say to people, if, if you still feel that you need to stay on that landing or we're not moving up the staircase at all, then I'm, I'm probably not the right professional for you. That's where I say maybe look at different alternatives. And it could just be, it could be therapy. It could be, um, you know, that there's still healing that needs to be done that, you know, is, is not within my scope. I can look, you know, I can go with a client into the spaces of self-limiting beliefs and thoughts and go a little into the past and say, okay, you know, where did that first show up? Where did you notice that the first time, you know, because most of our, our self-limiting beliefs came up in childhood. Um, but again, it's, it's knowing that only so that we can deal with it in like, okay, that was three year or, you know, seven year old you who, who decided that belief was true. You're now 40 and you're letting seven year old you run the show. Do you want to do that? And then, yeah. you know, working through that idea, but, you know, and then they can move forward from that place once it's given context, but the people who are really stuck and can't move forward generally need more help than, than coaching can offer. Can I just jump in there, Chris? Because I, I think one of the things that comes to my mind is probably the case that you're talking about might not, they might be starting from a different place. So, Michelle, I guess that most of the people who, who engage with yourself, your clients, they've already accepted that they're not happy with where they are right now. And so they want to get better. Yes. So, uh, and actually, I guess I, I I had a question there as well. So, is it mo um, do most people approach you for themselves, or do you sometimes get like people approaching you on behalf of someone else? You know, who might be in the same situation as Chris is describing, where they they don't they haven't accepted yet that there's anything particularly wrong. They're kind of happy being un unhappy, if you like. <sighs> 
Yeah. Um, I don't coach people who are happy being unhappy. <laughs> I, can't, okay. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just for who I am. I'm just like, how could you be okay with that? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, um, but, and, and, and being able to articulate that even more is just more of a reason of like, but why would you, why would you stay in that space? Um, but I do coach um, family members of people with mental illness. That That's another big um, part of my coaching practice is working with, um, say, it's it could be the spouse, it could be the parent, it could be the child, like an adult child of somebody with mental health issues. And often um, it's, you know, again, yeah, as I mentioned before, that like somehow we seem to think that if we love them more and love them enough and we tell them, you know, how to fix their lives and what they should be doing, you know, so many shoulds, um, that that will make them better and why won't they listen? And so, you know, the coaching that I do, I call it, um, you know, helping people lovingly detach from the mental illness. I say, you know, and, and the work that we do is around taking care of themselves and filling their own cups, um, you know, because we, we can't give, you know, when our cup is empty, we have nothing to give. And yet somehow we all think that we can and, and we're over giving mm-hmm. and we come from this depleted place. And I say, you know what, your loved one wants you to take care of you. They don't want you to fix them. And, um, you know, and I, and I stress that, you know, as long as the family member is under medical care, let the professionals do their job. Your job is to love this person for who they are. That's what you signed up for. And so it's, it's really working on, um, you know, learning to adjust to that message, learning to really build themselves up so that when their loved one needs support, they are coming from a full place of like, okay, I've taken care of me. I've done all of my self-care. So I have a lot that I can give you. And I can just be here to listen and, and you know, whatever it is that you need to vent. Because often when we're not able to hold that space for somebody who just wants to vent about what it is, it's because it might be rubbing up against something of our own that we're not dealing with. So just, you know, but when we're full and we're filled up and we're like, I'm in a great space, I can sit and listen to you and it doesn't affect me in the same way. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm going to feel love for you, but I can sit and quietly listen while you vent and mm-hmm. not feel I need to change anything about how you are. That's great. I mean, Chris, does that, does that resonate with you? Do you think yeah, the yeah. cases you're talking about, do you think, do you think they want to help themselves or or they're not quite there yet? Yeah, I I think uh, it's more a case of they want to help themselves. And I think with the best will in the world, you you can give somebody as much help and as much options that you think is right. Obviously, I'm not a professional, so it's something you try and uh, scope. But yeah, I think that's a great point michelle it's more than anything and and like you say you're, you're there to love them as well so it's it, you don't want the resentment growing and things like that so no i think that's really a good response thank you for that no no problem you know it, it's funny because a lot of people say like oh i have this good friend who has depression like how should i be with her what what should i do when she's she's telling me all this stuff and and the the First thing I say is just ask the person, ask your friend what they need. Like as they are sharing all of this with you of like, this is what I'm experiencing. You can just say, do you want me to just like, are you just looking to vent and you just want me to listen? Or do you want me to help find a solution? And that, and they know, they will tell you in a split second what they need from you. And it, it's as simple as just asking that question. And yet we, we don't often do that. It doesn't seem to be intuitive. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. It's just talking. I really like what you said about the the energy as well. So it's something that I've only become more aware of in in recent years is is how much any energy I've got to deal with a particular situation. You know, just uh, being able to listen and you know they say misery loves company, don't they? So um, <laughs> as a guy from Yorkshire said to me years ago, because I, I was talking about oh, shouldn't shouldn't we talk about our problems and stuff, and he says, oh no, not me. A problem shared is a problem doubled. <laughs> which i'm not sure we're preaching here but he wasn't 100 percent incorrect you know i think sometimes when you're sharing misery you know to be on the receiving end and and particularly if you are high on empathy i i think it does take a little bit of energy from you and you've only got a finite amount and so just being aware of how much energy you've got knowing you know depending on you know I i do believe extroverts get their energy from kind of group settings, introverts, you know, are more likely to uh, re-energize in a darkened room or just be on their own. Just try and understand yourself what gives you back that energy before you go and try and save the world. Yeah, yeah, boundaries. That's that's uh, big, <laughs> big in my work is, is just helping helping people set healthy boundaries without feeling guilty because I think we've been conditioned to think that creating boundaries are selfish. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it's not. It's actually the healthiest thing you can possibly do. Yeah, and I I agree with that, Michelle. Because one of the things I've done over the last, well, just before lockdown, actually, funny enough, is my work phone, emails, everything was all on my personal phone, and I couldn't help but read them. And I'm like, nope. Once I finish work, they are turned off, and you don't see them again until I get paid to look at them again. And that's one of the boundaries I've set for myself. And, and these people that were, you know, it, it doesn't make me any worse at my job. I actually think I'm better now because I'm more focused when I'm in work yeah. instead of just sat there going, "Oh my god, I've got to sort this out on Monday or something." You know, if you read an email over the weekend, and and I refuse to do it now. It's like life's too short. I love my family, and I love spending time with them, and I am not. Uh, I am just a number, no matter what right. position I hold at work, no matter what I do, I want to be good at my job. I want people to like me. I want people to be able to come to me if they've got a problem. That's my sort of role at work at the moment. And I really like that uh, to be able to help people, but don't, I, I'll never kid myself that they could get rid of me in a blink of an eye. And one of the main things you should always, for me, to, for me to be grounded is family life. And that's one thing that this year I'd like, nope. I am done. When you, I'm not getting paid by you, I'm not working for you. So you don't get thought, you don't get thought of any better. So um, you're right. I know that's a slightly different example, probably than what you were actually saying. But for me, it's something I've had to for my mental health, um, for the good of me more than anything. Is just create that divide properly because it's like you know I've been retired in twenty odd years. They're not going to be bothered about me when they get rid of me or whatever they do. So why should I be bothered about them when I'm not getting paid? So I think my a lot of my stuff is work related. That's why I had a bit of an issue a few years ago. Um, and I come out the other side thinking, right, I am not putting myself through this again. And I don't want other people who I work with, my friends, family, however, especially the people who work with my company going through that. And I went the other way and and now I'm there's light at the end of the tunnel, which is fantastic. And it's helping other people, which is what I want. But you do have to have boundaries, whether it's friendships, social media, anything. I totally, even if it's turning Netflix off instead of watching six episodes <laughs> or something, you need to have that little bit of something, that half an hour to yourself. I mean, I'm the oldest of nine kids. I've got a massive family. I, 
I'm more, I've married, I've only got one daughter. But I tell you now, as I've got older, I grew up in chaos, absolute chaos, you know, like sharing a room with three or four people. I am absolutely at my best now when I'm just sat in a room on my own. And I love my wife, I love my daughter, but I tell you now, if I get an hour to myself, I love it. And I can just <laughs> sit there on YouTube, on my phone, nothing. And I, I, my brothers and sisters are the same. As they've moved away from like the home and everything, they just love that private time. But when we get together, it's still chaos. So we all love each other and I'm the one of the worst for it. But there is that separation. I think as I get older, I'm like, oh, I just love peace and quiet. Leave me alone. You know, so <laughs> it's it's interesting how we, we all have different things that make us happy. And that mine is basically being on my own and left alone most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love everything about what you said. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and that's the thing that like when you're giving yourself that time to recharge, whether it's turning off your phone from work or being in that room by yourself, you know, you're not becoming resentful. Like that's the thing that when we're answering emails at 10 o'clock at night, when we're exhausted, we're starting to hate our job. And, yes, and then, then you're going to show up the next day still feeling that resentment. Versus, okay, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then you show up and you're like, yes, this is, this is the time I've dedicated to it. I'm, I'm very, you know, healthfully boundaried. And now you're getting my full attention because I have done everything I needed to do to take care of me. So, so the resentment doesn't show up because you, you know, you've dedicated this time for it. And same thing with being alone in your room, in, in the room, it's like, that's your time to recharge. So that when you come out of the room, you're there for your whole family in a loving way because this is your choice. Yeah, I agree. And that's great. <laughs> it makes me feel better already. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a very practical question, I guess, Michelle. So are, are, you, are most of your clients kind of in the vicinity? Do, do you meet them face to face? And if so, how has kind of lockdown and everything, how has that been working the last few months? So, um, actually my clients are all over the world. Um, most of them in the U S <laughs> so yeah, not even in my country. I only have a couple of clients that are local. Um, and, um, two now that I see in person, um, and, and the lockdown did impact, um, those clients, although one of them, one of them was okay to move to Zoom. The other one, we took a bit of a break, and now we actually meet at a local park. <laughs> we, mm -hmm. we, we distance and we sit on our own little little blankets and and we sit and chat for an hour. So it's it's great, you know, weather permitting. But thankfully, it's summer. Uh, but <laughs> the majority of the work that I do is over Zoom, um, which is funny that like nobody ever heard of it before. The pandemic and now everyone knows what it is so yay uh so zoom or the phone that's how i do the majority of my my coaching awesome that's great and i think microsoft teams as well everyone see it seems to be zoom or microsoft teams that everyone suddenly uh become very aware of <laughs> oh i'm not even familiar yeah. with that i have to go check it out oh, oh yeah. yeah that's um i use that more with work but uh yeah, no, it's just another conferencing suite. It's kind of better for sharing documents and things, but just conference calling, uh, mm -hmm. Zoom, Zoom's really good. Now, Michelle, I, I, today has been absolutely brilliant, and I want to thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to us. How would people get in contact with you? Um, 
Thank you. The best way to reach me would be through my website, which is michelleanhangcoaching.com. Um, I am also, I, I won't say all over social media because my kids won't let me on TikTok, but <laughs> I tell them I'm too old. Oh, it's brilliant. Michelle, you should, you should sneak on there with a, with a false account maybe or something. Know, it's so much fun. I know. I know. I know. They're just like, no, you can't. Don't. Don't do it. Because I was like, what if I did videos? They're like, no. But, um, but you can find me on Facebook um, if you're on Facebook. And, and my page is also Michelle Enhang Coaching. I'm on Instagram with the same handle. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, don't use Twitter much, um, but I do have an account. So if, if, you know, and I, I'm trying to think what else, um, I think that's pretty much it enough ways to reach me. Yeah. You, you can find me if you want to. <laughs> awesome. And we'll include all of those links in the show notes as well. So people can go in and into the podcast episode and just click on that and get right through there. Great. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour. And uh, it's lovely to speak to someone with so much knowledge and, and the way um, you've turned such a negative part of your life into such a positive and onto more people as well. I pre- Honestly, that, that sort of stuff inspires me because it's something I really, really want to move into. So thank you so much. And thank you both. It was such a pleasure getting to chat with you today. Well, Chris, like I say, you know, very different interview for us, you know, uh, not often that we we get super serious, but uh, no, I really enjoyed that discussion. And obviously we touched on some uh, quite serious points. We did. And and big thanks again to Michelle. Absolutely wonderful. She just is so honest upfront and there's just something, there's just love there behind what she does, Dave. And I think for us too, we've took some away. I hope that at least, like you said at the top of the show, at least one person can take something away from this interview. And like we say, we're going to put all the links for Michelle's social media and contacts uh, in the show notes. So if you're not sure or you want to chat or just, you know, drop her a message to thank her, then you know, there's plenty of ways you can do that. Uh, but no, Dave, really, really good. And, you know, it's great that we got that set up as well. I really appreciate that. So Dave, let's talk about series two of Love Island USA. Now, I mentioned it's in Vegas, my favorite city in the world. You love Vegas. Me and you were trying to get a little Jolly Boys out in weekend away for the Vegas. I did drop it down with Sam because I am going next year, hopefully in October. And But I did say, well, look, if you don't want to go, me and Dave are happy to do the three or four day weekend. And literally, I made sure I was about 20 foot away, Dave, and she was not happy. She's like, you don't go Vegas without me. But... I want to go Vegas every year for the rest of my life. So it's like, well, we, we're going to have to compromise somewhere, Sam. So I'm just hoping she doesn't listen to this interview, Dave. However, <laughs> when he said to me they were filming this in Vegas, I was like, oh, this is going to be it. But like the, the, the filming it at the Cromwell, which is right in the center of the strip, it's near where we stayed in November 18, near the Ballets. And it's one of the rent, more renovated ones. It's near the Link Promenade. But this... Uh, property's not been open since March. So obviously it's pretty much going to be like the villa situation. The pools are pretty good in Vegas and I'm sure they've done stuff up and that, uh, done stuff up and that. So it'll be a different concept, but I also think it's not going to be that far away. Where they put them room-wise, I'm not sure, and how close they're going to be, whether they're going to build a false set, nobody knows. I've tried to have a look online. I can't see anything, but I am, honestly, I'm so excited. They've just... We did not think we were going to get Love Island, did we? We watched the Australian one, 
again, which was rerun in the UK. We talked about maybe going back on the season two or season three of the UK one, which you've not actually watched yet. Uh, but this has just dropped in our lap, and I'm so happy, Dave, that we've got proper Love Island back. It, it's as if the producers have made this show just for us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got Love Island in Vegas. I mean, it, it just it just can't get any better. And, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it, to be honest. And, and, you know, putting the cards on the table, Love Island Season 1 USA was not our favourite, was it? No. You know, it, it, it was very short. It was the four weeks, and it, it just seemed a little bit, more vanilla you know I, I think the last australian series where people just didn't give a shit and we had lots of drama we had fighting and all sorts you know it, 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 that kind of got our juices flowing a bit more but honestly i i'm chomping at the bit just because it's new content obviously you you'd seen the whole australian thing so it was new to me um but then it, it we lost a little bit of something because we couldn't really interact on social media because we knew that you know there's plenty of people out there who know the outcome plenty of people who, who were just annoyed that there wasn't a new love island which i thought was a bit bizarre you know there is a kind of global pandemic going on you know so so no I, I, absolutely chomping at the bit to get going with this one chris i am and it's quite funny isn't it, dave because i know vegas isn't everyone's cup of tea but you know the uk can't do i'm a celebrity get me out of here in australia so they're going to a castle near my, where my brother lives in wales which is like some proper a rundown old castle it's going to be amazing they shut it now till new year while well, they do it all up but like in america they don't do it by halves they rent out a fucking las vegas hotel and go for it Dave. <laughs> so they've obviously got some sort of faith in the show and it must have done quite well the first series but i agree we were dead open about it. There were some great little uh, incidents in the first series of the USA one. However, it didn't have that grabbing moment, mainly because it was only on for four weeks. Like you say, there was literally one point, I think there was like four or five evictions one night after another. And it just didn't, he didn't get that emotional attachment of like, holy shit, they've split these two up. Like we had, um, oh, what's he called? The singer, that girl who'd, who'd like, she got with one of the lads, didn't she? Then she got with the, there was different people she went around with and I should have picked. There's brilliant specifics there, Chris. Yeah, really good. The one who came back at the end and gave her a kiss, the the officer and the gentleman bit when she got booted off. Um, and they're not together now either. But anyway, great work, Chris. <laughs> great fucking work as usual. Mr. Vague. Um, I, I mean, I remember there was, um, wasn't it Zach and Elizabeth? They're not together. You know, no. they they'd got together, hadn't they? And, and they were kind of inseparable. You had, uh, was it Kieran? Or you know, you had the Irish chap who came in and tried to kind of insert himself in there in between them. But you know, she was having none of it. So again, it's I guess it's what some people want to see from Love Island, Chris. Is that you know people find actual love, um, whereas for us, it's it's when all the drama kind of kicks off and and. That was that was a little bit missing. You had the guy from Texas, didn't you? Oh yeah, um, I'll tell you now, Dave Weston. Weston, who that's the flip one. Yeah. It's it's Kieran Cashel. Uh, they they're not together now either. But they were the ones, weren't they? Where she'd messed about Kira with a few people, even but she was looking at one of the girls because she was oh, uh, bisexual. Yeah, yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. But, then, but then you've got. Weston just flip-flopped himself. And then the two who won it, like you say, Zach and Elizabeth, who was absolute 
run away from the minute they got there. There was just a connection. They're not together either. So it... <laughs> <laughs> they split up. They only split up recently, but yeah, they're not together. So, um, quite interesting with this. But with the with the new cast members, I've had a quick squeeze down. I don't recognise anybody, even though I've watched loads of reality stuff, which is not a bad thing at all. A uh, couple of the, the ladies have caught me eye, Dave, to look out for. So I'm interesting how we go. And what I, what I would like is some proper drama. Not they were all too nice, weren't they? Other than when Weston got a bit shitty in Kira, most of the time there wasn't like what you got. In the, I mean, the Aussie one is two years old now, and that is the pinnacle of just mud throwing, nobody giving a shit. We had a little bit of a punch up and that. And, and the original UK ones were very similar, and they just seem to have got diluted as it's gone on. Still enjoyable, but this needs to be something because I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this show, Dave, you know, especially with lockdown going on, there's going to be more people tuning into this, I think, than what's previously happened. So if they can hit the ground running, it could be one of the best, hopefully. Yeah. The, the other obvious thing is, you know, because it, it's in Vegas, you know, I, 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 has it ever rained in Vegas? It certainly <laughs> hasn't whenever I've been there. I've been there no. about five times. And so, you know, it, the weather's fantastic. Um, you know, whereas in Fiji, the, half the time they were huddled up because there were tropical rainstorms, weren't there? So, again, probably going to have a lot more, um, you know, interactions out there in the sun, by the pool and stuff. So, no, I can't wait for this one. And, and obviously, the... They must have put loads of measures in place. You know, they, they must have lots of testing. The new contestants that are going to come in, they must already be in the hotel. You know how we speculate, you know, oh, they probably all know each other. Well, we know for sure now they definitely all have to be in the, the hotel from day one, whether they're, yeah. you know, in the in front of the cameras or or just in a different part of the hotel. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting how they kind of handle that. And obviously, you know, they, you don't want to become the doom monger, but, you know, what happens, Chris, if someone bloody gets tested positive? I know. I was thinking that. You, you've made a great point, Dave, because we talked about, didn't we, the Australian one the few, a couple of months ago when we were doing it. And, like, they come from Australia, and that's first uh, – Sorry, first series, you know, I'll catch my words. They were getting a flight to Mallorca. Well, there's not a lot of planes coming in and out of Mallorca. So they must have crossed over at some point, or people must have like gone, I wonder if that's a contestant or whatever. You know, he was appearing on the show. With this, you could totally write, they must have been in quarantine for weeks. And they must, I bet they got a daily test. And like you just said, I think that is absolutely, it could end the show. If one person gets it, I mean, they'd have to quarantine anyway, but that would just, the show would be over, wouldn't it, pretty much? You can't have someone who's got COVID and then the rest of them are like, well, you're on a two-week um, lockdown, so don't worry, stay in the villa and carry on. Well, there's going to be no evictions, you can't go. So I don't know how they're going to get away with this. I'm going to watch it, I'll be all over it. And to touch on your other point about the weather, Dave, I have Vegas's weather on my phone every day and I check it. Monday, when this show actually airs for the first time, it's 43 degrees, Dave. Oof. And it, by Sunday, it's 43, 42, 41. By next Monday, it drops, Dave, quite a lot to 39. So I think <laughs> it's going to be... You know what it's like? It's like, um, do you remember the fast show, you know, where, where they have the weather? And it's like, Scotchio! It's yeah, like yeah. every Rus single Rus day. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, no, it should be great. It should be great. And uh, obviously, we're not wishing. Uh, we really hope they must have been in quarantine for ages. So you know, providing they they are in that bubble, they must have got loads of like non-perishable tinned food in. You can't imagine they, you know, there's any fresh fruit or anything. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought so because there has to be some kind of you know communication to the outside world so no it's it's gonna look we're not we're not watching it for an academic exercise uh you know no. we're watching it for a lot of fun but it is going to be interesting and, and completely unique yeah really really unique and brilliant at the same time i, I honestly cannot wait dave honestly i genuinely can't and if any of you guys, like, you know, first time listening to us, we have a massive back catalogue of shows now, don't we? It originally started off as the Love Island cast, and then we changed it because we were getting asked to do different reality shows. So we've got Too Hot to Handle from the Netflix, Single Town from the UK, that was on ITV. Uh, we've got, oh, we've got Labour of Love, which was the, one of the last ones we did, we, we went simultaneously with Australian Love Island. That was an absolute disgrace of a show. I don't think we'll ever see a second series of that. Um, but yeah, it was great fun doing it as a as a podcast. So we've we've probably got about 150 episodes, probably more than that now, Dave, on this this channel, which we love. And considering Mr. Horrocks was a non-reality TV lover, <laughs> I have converted you completely, my friend. I love going back listening to our old shows. You know, it's just like the first ever episode the love island cash you were like no, no i'm just not for that i'm just skeptical i'm not into it it's like now you are more worse than me you will literally ring me and you watch them all before me brilliant yeah. <laughs> i must admit i didn't last very long though it was two or three episodes wasn't it yeah then i was yeah. hooked. so oh, now brilliant. chris obviously it's been great you know we've had a much longer episode than we normally do today and uh yeah so we'll we'll get this one released and then we'll be back again so monday is when the episode airs so we'll have an episode out on tuesday and yeah can't wait and uh, i can't honestly and as always guys if you want to get involved on social media we're going to be posting regularly like dave said we didn't do it the aussie one because it had already been on and i didn't want it ruining dave's experience because there's plenty of people telling on the official channels and on ours who'd won and why they're replaying it as david said so this time we're going to be back on social media if you want to follow us at cd reality cast on Twitter and on Instagram as well, exactly the same handle. And if you want to email us, the cdrealitycast at gmail.com and send us in your emails. We love reading them out. We love interacting with you guys. And uh, I cannot wait, Dave. Awesome, mate. Well, I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.